Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Well, today I want to get right to it because we're going to talk about CRT, critical race theory. We're not going to talk about critical race theory so much as we're going to talk about um, what this is all about. And I think there's a lot of confusion around this subject um, in schools. And I've, I've got some meet the press interviews, but I just want to say, I just want to make a comment initially before we go to Chuck Todd and meet the press. I want to make the, the claim that this is really all about power. It's, it's really who gets to teach the kids and what do we get to teach them now for at least mm, about 60 or 70 years now since world war ii we've had a tradition of local school boards basically deciding the curriculum that is taught in schools and that's worked pretty well for 70 years. But the 1619 Project, critical race theory, all these crazy gender studies and African-American studies, and I say they're crazy because I just don't think they're very useful in our society. They may be very interesting subjects, but it seems like to me it's done nothing but create agitators. And so... That's one of the reasons I believe it's it's all about power is you got people agitating for control. How else can something like the 1619 project spread as fast as it has to schools all across America without some sort of political angle or activism or something? Um, I just think there's more to this than meets the eye. But we're going to go through, we're going to listen to Chuck Todd's questions. He's going to frame it up here for us in a second. Now, he he kind of makes my case right off the bat. He talks about this governorship in uh, Virginia that Glenn Youngkin won and how it was about school choice and critical race theory. So I think he makes my point very eloquently. Um, and then he asks some, I think, okay questions. I mean, um, he's a, he, I think he's a good interviewer. But again, you can just tell that these people are political animals. And politics is all about power. It's always about power. It's always about money and power and who gets to control. And, you know, the schools are a, a very powerful voting block, the teachers unions, the administration, the amount of money that flows into the school systems across the country. It's just a very powerful political group of people. And so let's go ahead and listen to Chuck Todd. Let's listen to his questions, listen to the way he frames this up, and then let's um, talk about these points one by one. Good Sunday morning and a merry day after Christmas. When Republican Glenn Youngkin won the governor's race in Blue Virginia this year, the second most important issue to voters, according to the exit polls, was education. 
And for many of Youngkin's voters, education was code for something called critical race theory, or CRT for short. It's an academic concept about racism being embedded in law, policies, and society. And it has come to mean different things to different people these days. To many African-American parents, CRT represents a long overdue reckoning with America's racial history and how it's taught. Conservative groups have campaigned against CRT, and to many white voters, it has been seen as a way to make white children feel ashamed of their race. The result has been loud and angry demonstrations, raucous school board meetings, the dismissal of school administrators, and state laws banning the teaching of critical race theory. Today, we're going to take a look at the debate over not just CRT, but education as a whole and its impact on schools and politics. So like I said, Chuck Todd brings up the governor's race. He mentions that the exit polling shows that uh, people were concerned about education, which he says is code for CRT, critical race theory. Now, I don't know why liberals always want to talk like there's some code or dog whistles or, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know why they can't just take people for what they say, but I thought that was interesting. And then he talks about some long and overdue reckoning. And that's interesting, too, because, you know, that that seems to indicate that there's something wrong, that, that there's something has been done wrong over some period of time, and, and uh, there's some sort of reckoning that needs to happen. So, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. But um, he's got a couple of guys that he's going to – talk to here and ask some questions of and let's uh, see what they have to say welcome back i recently sat down with three guests to discuss the fight over how we teach about race in america republican congressman byron donalds of florida who opposes the teaching of critical race theory in public schools brenda sheridan the school board chair in loudon county virginia which has become one of the epicenters of the battle over critical race theory and jelani Cobb, who covers race and politics for the new yorker Congressman Donalds, I think this is the concern. You've heard this concern, which is, and, and we, I brought up the Tulsa race massacre because I didn't, I wasn't taught it in schools. I, I went to public schools in Florida. Uh, something I learned in the last two years was Axe Handle Sunday, mm. which was a, a horrible mm. uh, racial violence in right. Jacksonville, Florida. Right. I assume you think we should be teaching these events in our public schools. Absolutely. So, so how would you do it? And, 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 and what is banning critical race theory in your mind do to impact the teaching of, say, Axe Handles. Look, the number one thing we all agree on is that history should be taught. Objective history should be taught at all times. I went to an even elementary painful, school, right? even if it's painful. I went to an elementary school where they taught objective history about our nation from, from slavery, through Jim Crow, through civil rights era. So I learned that in elementary school. Every child should have that. The issue with critical race theory is it is a subjective view of American history and America law using race as the lens to focus. And when you bring subjectivity into the classroom, that is what has parents upset. That is what leads, unfortunately, to children being divided in certain class segments based upon race. That has happened in some schools across our country, not all. But when you have something like that occur, that is when parents step up and they oppose it. And we shouldn't have subjectivity. We should definitely teach objective history in our country. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Okay, so I think Representative Donald's, you know, encapsulates the political argument very well. Although he talks about objective history, and I don't anybody that's read any history knows that there's nothing objective 
about history. Uh, if we have time, I may read a little something about uh, the Civil War that illustrates that very clearly. Um, but <clears throat> I think the point is schools should teach American history. Um, I know slaves were brought here unwillingly, right, by force. They were sold by their brothers in Africa to traders, slave traders, and brought over on ships. But, you know, we don't have other groups in America clamoring for their own special history or their own special treatment of history. We had other people come to this country from Italy, from Germany, from Ireland, from all places all over the world. And they're not clamoring for their own history. So that's one point I'd like to make. The second point is there is a lot of black history in American history and slave history. I mean, the whole, I don't know, the whole founding of America from the very beginning wrestled with the idea of slavery and um, had to make this huge compromise, you know, that slaves were going to be three-fifths of a person in order to get the other states to agree or the other colonies to agree to join the Union. So, and then, and then as the as the country expanded west, I mean, you had the Missouri Compromise, which brought Missouri in as a slave state, but then brought Maine as a free state. And so, you know, I don't, I don't understand the argument that there's no uh, black history or no history of slavery is as difficult to, as a subject it is. It's not in our history. It's, it's all throughout our history. I don't know what history these people are reading. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I, I mean, I happen to be a historian, and historians don't really believe there is such a thing as objective history. What we do is recognize that we have a perspective, that there are we're all subjective. And what we try to do is, uh, despite those subjectivities, follow what the evidence suggests most stringently. And so that's how we come to the conclusion that there is this dynamic of race uh, in which people, one group of people have disproportionately been victimized and one group of people have disproportionately benefited from that victimization. It's difficult to get around that, even if people think that it will make people feel uncomfortable. And the last thing I'll say is that there is no teaching of critical race theory in our schools. You know, I wrote about this in The New Yorker. The critical race theory is an advanced uh, issue of jurisprudence, legal jurisprudence, uh, for which there's an extensive body of scholarship. Uh, if your fifth grader is learning critical race theory, then I would say congratulations because you have a genius on your hand and they're in their last year of law school. So Jelani makes my point about history not being objective, and I agree with that. But that's where he's his correctness ends. I mean, the rest of this stuff is just political activism that he's talking about. Um, There's a dynamic of race that runs through our history. Well, yeah. I mean, we just talked about that. There was slavery, but there was other, you know, there were other people involved that um, the American Indians or the indigenous people, that was a race that was here. Uh, There was, again, you know, Irish and Italians later on. And so, I don't, I don't know. I just don't understand um, the way these liberal activists think. And I know this guy's a, you know, he's an author, um, 
I forgot where, maybe for the New Yorker. He's a journalist for the New Yorker. But in general, liberals, they tend to think in terms of oppressed, the, the oppressor and the oppressed. That's how they see the world. That's their worldview. Um, one group benefited, the oppressor, and one group was victimized, the oppressed. And this is how they see everything. And that's why race is such a big deal to them. But race is, is more of a, a feature of history rather, rather than some critical thread that runs through history. It's, in my opinion, this is all just activism. This is just another avenue by which people advocate for power. Congressman, I want you to respond to that. The, the idea that is, are we, did we search for a, a solution to a problem that didn't exist when it came to critical race theory? Oh, no, that is not true schools. at all. That's not true at all. Look, the number one thing that's happened with critical CRT ending up in classrooms is not an actual course. It is through diversity, equity, inclusion seminars that teachers take. It's through what happens comes in classroom material, in textbook material, in library material. And all these things, all these things actually bring us the subjective view, not of our history, but how children are, are that subjectivity is being brought to children today, how they view each other, how they view themselves. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to be very, very careful about. That's what parents are very, very careful of. Of course, parents don't want their kids coming home from school and going, I hate Johnny because he's white. He's an oppressor. They don't want their kids talking like that <laughs> or thinking like that. They know that that's not going to bring them success in the world. And so for them to be taught that in schools is offensive to parents. And that's why they're standing up in these school board meetings and raising such a ruckus about it. And again, this is the, this is the system that was set up for uh, localities to control these school boards and for parents to have a lot of input to it. But, you know, the 1619 Project, critical race theory, all these gender studies and African-American studies, these people are trying to exert their authority or their newfound power into these institutions and disrupting them and then acting like, you know, they have the answer to the Holy Grail and everybody else is just blind and can't see. All right. So, Brenda, this is where I bring you in. You're a school board member. You're hearing these conversations in some ways, what Jelani and the congressman, this is, this is happening at your school board meeting, my guess is not as, uh, not as politely as right. we're having here. How, how do you guys decide as a board what belongs in history in, in a history curriculum? We're talking about the state of Virginia here, whose history with race is very fraught. Right. And I'll echo that we are not teaching critical race theory. It's not in our curriculum because it would be inappropriate. It is, it is a graduate level theory, mm-hmm. and it would be inappropriate if a fifth grader was doing that and, and learning that in school. And it's been manipulated. Critical race theory has been manip- ma- manipulated to replace what is really equity initiatives and teaching students about their biases and our teachers about their biases. And that's what leads to discipline disproportionality and students being treated differently just based on their skin color or perhaps poverty, their poverty, their socioeconomics mm-hmm. and those types of things. What we're really teaching students is, to, is compassion and empathy for the other students' experiences. It can't be objective because right. it, we're experiencing it subjective. So there it is. Uh, they want to be your parents. I mean, that's what she's just talking about, that they need to learn empathy and compassion and all this stuff. Well, that's what you learn from your parents, okay? Um, and she also let it out of the bag that, you know, 
really what they're trying to do in schools is they're trying to, these are equity initiatives and diversity initiatives and uh, to help people wring out their biases and this type of thing. And and so, you know, I, I don't know why people can't just be okay. For example, one of the, one of the things I think, I, I think you should have freedom to associate. Now, everybody believes this, but nobody wants to say it. And, and I can prove it, right? By you, you each have your friends that you hang out with. You don't hang out with other people. Like if, if somebody says, hey, I'm going over to this person's house. Why don't you come? You have a choice to say, no, I don't want to come. Because maybe you don't like that person. You don't have to say that. But you have the freedom to associate with whoever you want to. And this diversity and inclusion stuff, it, it, it's trying to wring that out of people. Uh, or trying to assign some cause as to why they don't want to do what they want to do with other people. And, you know, it, it's none of the state's business, you know, this stuff, really. And so they're trying to introduce things that really are the jobs of parents. And they don't like it. They don't like the fact that uh, some some people's parents are racist and they're teaching their kids to be racist. They don't like that. Well, you know. Okay, but you don't you don't run some weird psychological program through the schools to try to you know get control of that. Is I feel as if we're just going to separate on this. Whether teachers are going to walk away, school board members are like don't want the fight. Parents may go to their own schooling. And I think we're already seeing that. We we see people. We see a lot of our teachers yeah. saying, just as an effect of the pandemic and this piled on top of it, yeah. they're walking away. It, it, it's an underrated profession as it is. Right. People are walking away, but it's not because of critical race theory. Critical race theory is more of the, I don't know, the straw that broke the camel's back. I think people are tired of sending their kids to these schools and them not learning anything. Or them learning something, but only because they're coming home and they have six hours worth of homework every night. Um, you know, I've said for a long time that the only people being served in these public schools are the, let me say it this way. The people not being served in public schools are your average kid. Okay. Your average kid who just makes B's and C's and wants to graduate and maybe go to college, maybe start a career in something else. But we got programs for English as a second language. We got programs for kids that are, you know, a little bit slow. And we've got programs for this group and that group. And meanwhile, you know, if you want to get a decent education in a public school system, you better be in the AP classes, the advanced placement classes. Otherwise, you're going to be in there with a bunch of hoodlums and people that don't want to be there. This, and, and look, this is uh, George Bush, in my mind, No Child Left Behind, was a huge huge blunder. Um, you need to let these kids that are disruptive and don't want to be in school, they need to move on. They need to go learn a trade, uh, go learn to drive a truck. God knows we need a lot of truck drivers right now. So let them leave school and let them move on. But no, we got we to gotta hurt everybody in there and we got to wring out every little imperfection that exists. I mean, the schools are not, you know, America's social experiment. And I agree with these parents. We should shut all this crap down. Teach them how to read and write and do math and learn history. History is part of it. 
but not black history, just American history or their state's history. If kids want to learn black history, they can enroll in college and they can get an African-American studies degree like uh, Jelani has, or not Jelani, but the Keith Mays or whoever. I forgot which one has that. Jelani, that seems to be the unintended consequence that I think we're all bracing for. We could have segregation of education. Yeah, I'm not sure that's an unintended consequence because this is just an extension of the sort of dynamics that we've seen before. We've seen uh, death by euphemism, you know, where Texas textbooks uh, were referring to the triangular slave trade as the triangular trade or referring to people who were enslaved as workers uh, and uh, kind of trying to find ways around the most uncomfortable parts of this story in the first place. And so this is tremendously treacherous as we've seen uh, the increasing tide of hate crimes uh, that we've seen uh, white nationalist violence resurging across the country. Uh, we really need to understand what the pitfalls are. And then we, mm -hmm. we teach history. We teach this this difficult history because it's the only chance we have of right. immunizing ourselves against the vectors of evil in the past. Man, Jelani Cobb really believes what he talks about. I mean, the guy, I mean, I don't know. He He's such an activist. I mean, it's interesting that he calls himself an historian and a journalist. Um, I don't know what, I, I don't know what history he studied. I probably, I guess, black American history or African American studies or whatever. But he just dives right into sub dynamics and, you know, what did he say? The death by youth euphemisms because he, because in Texas textbooks, it talks about something called the, uh, triangular slave trade, but refers to it as the triangular trade. I mean, this guy sees boogeymen in all kinds of areas. It must be really treacherous and torturous to be him. But then he goes even, he takes it even further and starts talking about the increasing tide of hate crimes I mean, how do you have the guts to do that when Jesse Smollett just was convicted of faking a hate crime? And I don't know, man. I, I don't know what TV he's watching or what news coverage he's watching, but all the violence, all the stealing I see, and I hate to say this, but it's mostly from black Americans. I, every night I watch TV in Houston, and it's it's mostly blacks killing other blacks in Houston. I don't know what it's like. And I, I think it's that way in Chicago. I'm not sure about New York and some of these other places, but it, it doesn't have anything to do with white nationalism um, and white nationalist violence. I don't know what, I don't know where he's got evidence for that, but to me, it's just evidence that he's an activist and, and not really a historian or really uh, a columnist, even though he may be employed by the New Yorker. Yeah. Congressman, are you, I, I, I take your uh, beliefs uh, very sincerely. Are you worried there are people that are um, using this, hijacking this because of their own, maybe their own um, nefarious views? No, my view is that the parents who are coming to school boards all across the country, whether it's a red state or a blue state, a red district or a blue district, they're legitimately concerned that their children are not just being taught history, but that there's being taught about biases that they may or may not have based upon the color of their skin. And with young kids in America today, they should be looking at each other and viewing each other as equals, understanding our history. I think that's what everybody wants. Again, with the boogeyman, 
you know, there's people out there with their own nefarious views and their own nefarious agenda or whatever. Look, this is, um, this is the nature of government and one size fits all solutions. One of the great things about the fact that the school boards were independently governed by, by parents groups and localities was that you didn't have to live with the one size fits all type government solution. Of course, you know, since the creation of the department of education, you know, schools have just gotten more and more politicized and you see it. I mean, you see it all the time. There's, uh, golly, I mean, there's all, even in my school district, there was crazy things going on. Um, and so it's just, you know, when things get brought into politics, they get poisoned. That's just always what happens. And these people that are advocating for this stuff, they're nothing but, you know, activists, political activists. When the 1619 Project was published by the New York Times, it became an object of both admiration and criticism. The series of essays was named for when African slaves were first taken to these shores, and it places slavery and its legacy at the center of American history. Journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones won a Pulitzer Prize for the project, but also came under criticism for suggesting that the American Revolution itself was fought to preserve slavery. Few people have spent more time researching, thinking, and writing about race in America than Nicole Hannah-Jones, and she joins me now. Nicole, welcome to Meet the Press. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, let me just start with this. Uh, describe in your own words what the 1619 Project is uh, and its mission. The 1619 Project is a book now. It began as a uh, magazine and a special section of the New York Times. And what it is, is it marks the advent of African slavery in the original 13 colonies. So 1619 is the year the first Africans were sold into slavery in Virginia. And what the project argues through a series of essays is that very little about American life today has been left untouched by the legacy of slavery and the anti-blackness that developed uh, in order to justify it. So it is trying to place the legacy slavery as an institution, which is one of the oldest institutions in America, really at the center of the story that we tell ourselves about our country and to explain uh, so much about American life through that lens. Wow. Would you want this woman teaching your children? I mean, wow. I, I just, it's hard to even come up with words that describe <laughs> this woman and her thinking but, you know, she, she started off by saying that the American Revolution was fought to preserve slavery. Man, what is she talking about? Does she think that King George gave a damn about whether or not people in the New World had slaves? He didn't care. All he wanted was his money. And if anything, well, certainly the colonies were created uh, because people wanted to escape religious pers persecution. And I think you could make an argument, a really solid argument, actually, that slavery would have ended without the Civil War, which is really not the Civil War, but that's maybe a subject for another time, because it was ending all over the world already. Um. And, and this comment about 
very little of American life today has been untouched by the, the legacy of slavery. What the hell is she talking about there? I mean, I don't see any evidence of that. I don't know what she's talking about unless she's trying to make some sort of connection to um, the disproportionate number of blacks that are in prison or something like that. And that's for another discussion. And I tend to agree that we have some sort of criminalization problem, but I, I really just don't even know what she's talking about. To me, she just, her comment was just one long continuous talking point. Did you intend for the 1619 project to become public school curriculum, or did you intend it to start a debate to improve the curriculum of how we teach American history? Well, when I first pitched the project, I simply pitched it as a work of journalism, which it is. I mean, I, I'm a journalist at the New York Times, and I pitched a project to run as a piece of journalism in the New York Times. Now, uh, some months in, as we were working on the project, we began to talk about that this could be a great learning tool for students, particularly uh, we were thinking about the broadsheet that ran in partnership with the National Museum of African American History and Culture that talks about teaches slavery through objects found in that museum. Now, the New York Times has an education division. The New York Times regularly turns its journal so the first thing I'm struck by in her comment was that, you know, it's a work of journalism. And I just think, think about that under the backdrop of today and the journalism that's taking place today, including the New York Times, by the way, is just, it's awful. I mean, it's, it's not accurate. It's, uh, in fact, the 1619 Project itself has come under fire for numerous inaccuracies. And, you know, if you're going to teach something, if you're going to teach history, okay, if you're going to use something to teach history, there's a process for that. It's called the peer review process. So it's submitted to university scholars. They read it. They make comments on it. It's, it's called peer reviewed. And the 1619 project has not been peer reviewed. It's a work of journalism. And I'm not saying it's complete fiction, but it's, it's, not, it, it's not a work of history, okay? It's a work of journalism, just like she said. And so it should be treated as such. The other thing is, you know, what, see, I, I, I'm wondering where this came from. Like, was there government money behind it? Was there, you know, a, some sort of political action committee? To me, things like this don't just show up in the curriculum nationwide. There's got to be some Department of Education um, power behind this or something. Because it takes a long time for curriculum to change in these schools. And this just seemed to come out of nowhere. So I'm, I'm very skeptical about that as well. Ironic that we're seeing these bills being passed these anti-history laws to make it more difficult to teach about slavery and racism and our, our country's long history of racism, when in fact, we have educators who are struggling the opposite way. They're having holding mock, mock slave auctions in their classrooms. They're having students do assignments where they have to list the pros and cons of slavery because they really don't know how to teach this very well. And that's because as a country, we have not honestly grappled with the truth about our history. And the history we learn is often about nationalism and patriotism, right. but not about telling Where the truth. Where should that come from? Truth. 
That's funny. She says that the history we've learned is often about nationalism and patriotism. Yeah, that's right. Because we're in government schools and government writes the history. That's just the way it is. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. She's talking about bills. So she's back to politics. Um, to me, this is politics. This is, uh, they probably, I have no idea, but they probably got some support um, from some Department of Education program to insert this into curriculum and, you know, probably secretly. And, and now, you know, the states have figured out, oh, shoot, our school boards have been co-opted by the National Department of Education. We're going to create some laws that put a stop to this. I mean, what do you, what do you expect? Well, you've encroached on their power. This is all about power. And when you try to get somebody's power away from them, they're going to fight for it to get it back. So that's, that's what's happening here. It doesn't have anything to do with people don't want to know the real history and how blacks and slavery figured into that history. It has nothing to do with anything. This seems to be a real challenge uh, in an open society is how do we get agreement on this, especially when, you know, parents want to have a look, a Virginia governor's race was arguably decided on uh, the strength of how how influential should parents be on curriculum. How do we do this? Well, I would say the governor's race in Virginia was decided based on the success of a right-wing propaganda campaign that told white parents that they needed to fight against their children being indoctrinated um, as race as being called racist. But that was a propaganda campaign. And there are a lot of black parents in Virginia. There are a lot of Latino parents in Virginia, and they were not being featured in that coverage. And what they wanted for their kids' education, which is more teaching about race, more teaching about the history of racism, um, seem to have fallen on deaf ears. So I think we should frame that question properly. And I don't really understand this idea that parents should decide what's being taught. I'm not a professional educator. I don't have a degree in social studies or science. We send our children to school because we want them to be taught by people who have an expertise in the subject area. And that is not my job. When the, when the uh, governor or, or the candidate said that he didn't think parents should be, be deciding what's being taught in school, he was panned for that. But according to Nicole Hanna, Glenn Youngkin's election was the result of a successful right-wing propaganda campaign perpetrated for the purpose of getting white parents riled up so that they would go into school board meetings and raise hell about what their kids were learning in school. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't know. This woman, again, these people that are activists, they only know how to think like this. That's, that's the way they think. They don't, they think about power. That's what they think about. And so I know she calls herself a journalist and the 1619 project is a work of journalism. And I just, I just think, you know, she has an agenda and it's not completely open about it. Uh, and she claims to know that blacks and Hispanics want more teaching about race. Well, I don't know. I saw some coverage on TV and I saw plenty of black and Hispanics, pe Hispanic people talking about how they di didn't want their kids being taught that. So I don't know. Does she have a study on that or what, what is she citing? And the other thing is 
parents need to be involved because the governments are teaching education and they want to make sure their kids aren't being propagandized. That's it. It's really that simple. As a matter of fact, white parents are representing fewer than half of all public school parents. And yet they have an outsized voice in this debate. But our children are being raised in a racialized society. They are noticing things. They have questions. And I don't think teaching an accurate rendering of history is about making white children feel guilty. So with every progressing clip, she just, you know, reveals her true colors. She's talking about how white parents, you know, have a larger voice in this conversation, but they're underrepresented and blah, blah, blah. Again, this is about power. She believes she's right and she wants it forced on everybody else. And then the, uh, you know, talking about our kids being racialized. Oh my God. You know, the, what is it? The pot calling the kettle black kind of thing. I mean, yeah. Every time I turn on the TV, I hear, journalist, quote unquote, talking about race in America. And yet, you know, I live in Texas in the South, the dreaded South, the, you know, the bane of the entire country's existence. You know, and I walk around and I smile and say hello to people. I don't see all this racism they're talking about. I I don't. And I, and I live in a very modest place, you know, and I'll live in a mansion and you know, surrounded by a big wall. And like Joe Biden does, he sees race everywhere and he has a damn wall around his, uh, home that that we spent, I don't know, like a half a million dollars putting up, I heard. So I, I think this is just some sort of political calculus. I think all this race talk is just about power. It's about getting us to fight with one another so that we can't see the harm that they're doing to us by printing all this money and um, lying to us about COVID and just all the shit they're up to. I mean, who knows what's, what the hell's really going on? You know, you can't get an honest answer out of anybody. So you have to be skeptical. I mean, I said this last time, we all need to increase our level of skepticism of this government and in all governments. My project, which is a work of journalism by the New York Times, is banned by name in Georgia, Florida, Mm -hmm. in Texas. Uh, There are efforts to ban the teaching of this history in Oklahoma and South Dakota, in Tennessee. And when we think about what type of society bans books or bans ideas, that is not a free and tolerant democratic society. Well, first of all, just because it's not in the curriculum doesn't mean we're burning, you know, the 1619 project or banning it. It just means it's not going to be in the curriculum. I'm sure if you wanted to go get a copy of the 1619 Project and read it, it's it's you probably pick it up on Amazon right now. So I think she's been a little bit hyperbolic here, and again, she's just pissed because uh, her her work is not peer reviewed, and it didn't go through the proper channels, and now people are pushing back on it. That's all. That's all that's going on here. That is a society that is veering towards uh, authoritarianism. So unless people who believe in free speech, who believe in uh, our children being intellectually challenged, begin to get organized and speak up. I think we're going into a dark age of of repression and suppression of the truth. Uh, And uh, really, um, these laws are paving the way uh, for the taking of other political rights, like voting rights, like women's reproductive rights, like uh, rights for LGBTQ people. Uh, So we're going to have to decide what kind of country we want to be. Yep, there she goes again, making my point. This is all about power. 
And then I love the, you know, we're just going to have to decide what kind of country we want this to be. Well, I mean, you're seeing it. We want it to be a country where we look at each other and not see race. That's what we want it to be. And I think Brenda Sheridan, excuse me, said it earlier that, uh, you know, this is really what they're really trying to do is introduce equity and inclusion, which is really what we don't want, right? Uh, that's exactly what people are complaining about. So it's not so much the 1619 Project or CRT specifically as it is the outgrowths from those types of uh, studies. So I want to wrap it up a little bit here because we're running long. But if this is really about, you know, teaching history, you know, uh, a painful history that, you know, that we need to confront as a nation, then why are some people running around asking white people to kneel before them and say that they're privileged and, you know, they're sorry and all this kind of stuff? You know, I I just think there's something more to this. I don't know what the hell that's all about, but if they're trying to turn you know, the quote unquote oppressed into the oppressors and the oppressors into the oppressed or what? I mean, they're, they're, the principles involved in their way of thinking are so nonsensical that it's hard to really understand what the goals are or, you know, what, what is really to become of all this. And I think this is why I always just focus on liberty and liberty if you want to express the maximum amount of liberty around this subject, take your kids out of school. That's what I say. Take them out of school if you can. Enroll them in something like the Ron Paul curriculum. Piece together a a study program for them. And let them read classics. Let them study math and physics and read uh, real history, history of the world, history of American history, your state's history. Get them out of the schools because the schools, they're not learning anything there anyway. I took my son out of school um, years ago because he was there eight hours and then was having to come home and spend like six hours doing homework. And I confronted the people at the school. I said, what do y'all, what do you do during the day? What are you talking about during the day? What are you teaching during the day? I said, the kids got six hours worth of homework every night. And all they had to say was, well, you know, these advanced placement programs, they're pretty tough. Well, yeah, I think, I think the kid was teaching himself is what I think was happening and they weren't doing crap. So if you want your kid to have a good education, get them out of the schools, get them away from these hoodlums that they're leaving in the school system because of no child left behind and just passing along anyway, just withdraw from it. Take away your sanction. You're going to, you pay taxes anyway, whether your kids are there or not. So just take them out and, um, and exercise your liberty. This is America. And, um, you know, I have faith in you. I think you could do it. I know a lot of people are afraid to do it, but your, your, your children are not going to learn what they need to learn sitting in these schools. I promise you that. <laughs>